When your pastor wears an apron, you know that you're at the right place. You know you're at the right place. Well, welcome again. My name is Mike. I'm so, so happy to be here with you. Um, I'm part of the Hope family of churches. I'm a raving fan of Hope Brooklyn, um, of Russell and Anna and Nathan and Liz and Catherine, the whole team. So thank you guys. And Mike Cones, is that Mike Cones? Oh my goodness. That's on the podcast now, right? Oh, snap. All right, so we're in a series called The Paradigm. And the Paradigm series says to us that this book of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, Exodus, shows us something about God, but it clearly shows us something about ourselves. That the stories we read, this experience um, of these ancient people, these ancient freed slaves, somehow mirrors what we experience and feel today. And really, I think nowhere is it more clear in Exodus than this story we're about to read today. It's a story about complaining. It's a story about miracles. But ultimately, it's about a question from God to his people, will you trust me? Even in the midst of some really hard circumstances. So we're going to read together Exodus chapter 16. It's a long passage, so you could read along on the screen. The whole Israelite community set off from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, we've heard these kind of complaints from the Israelites before, but now it's not just one or, or, or a few, it's, it's everyone that's complaining. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven to you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the floor, on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And then when they measured it by the Omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. 
Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. You know it's going to go wrong, right? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the Sabbath he gives you bread for two days. That's why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. And that word manna literally means what is it? Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it may, might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that, it, that was settled they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Now, if you've ever had to take care of a toddler or a young child for an extended period of time, the story you just heard probably sounds familiar. I read this and it sounds like the worst possible road trip in all of human history. I mean, think about it. It's like kids in the back of the van complaining, saying there isn't enough to eat, not sharing the food yelling at one another, yelling at the driver, yelling at dad, yelling at mom, saying they're going to die, wishing they were back where they came from. Super dramatic and whiny. And we've just read that there was a miracle that they experienced. And not just any little miracle, like the miracle to end all miracles. Slaves for 400 years in Egypt, rescued via plagues, crossing the sea, waters making a wall. I think there was a whale, at least the, uh, there was in the movie, okay? <laughs> and here they are in the desert, and it's only been a month. It's only been a month since they've experienced all of this. Numbers 33 says on the 15th day of the first month, they left Egypt. This is the 15th day of the second month. It's only been a month. And they're complaining. They're grumbling. And we know that the Israelites are going to be in the wilderness for a while. They're going to be out here for a while. It's not going to be a month or two months or even a year. It's going to be 40 years that they're going to be out here. And this won't be the last time they complain. Now, here's what happens. They, again, experience a miracle. The provision of God, bread literally rains down from heaven. So they have enough to eat every single day. But this won't be the last time they complain. 
Numbers chapter 11 says this, two years from this point that they're gonna complain again, and this is what they're gonna say. The rabble with them began to crave other foods. And again, the Israelites start wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Okay, now we heard that there was quail, but, I, but it didn't come every day. Came every once in a while. The, brand, the manna came every day though. So this is what they say. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Free fish. It only costs us our freedom. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. There was a salad bar. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They're still thinking about Egypt. Two years in to freedom, they're still thinking about where they left. That place that now seems so rosy, seems so great, the place where they used to be slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Moses says to God, after leading these people for two years, God, kill me now. Kill me now. I cannot take it. These people are driving me nuts. And God says this. He says, you know what? I'm going to discipline them. Um, I'm not just going to give them meat for a day. I'm not going to even give them meat for, for two days, 10 days, 20 days. I'm going to give them meat to eat for a month. And not just a little bit of meat, so much meat that it's going to come out of their nostrils. That's literally what God says. It's going to come out of their nostrils and they're going to hate it. This is what Moses says to God. God, there, I have like 600,000 men with me and more women and children. How are you going to get this done? And this is, great Lord, uh, this is a great line that the Lord says. He says to Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? And that's like Old Testament to me for like, did I stutter, Moses? <laughs> you can't see me. You will now see whether or not will I, what I say will come true for you and for the people. And exactly that happens. Enough meat comes, enough quail comes that, that, that scripture tells us that it was three feet off the ground. Gross. And everyone who ate of it actually died. Because they complained. And the complaining didn't stop. Now, we got to take a pause and say, okay, does this mean God is against complaining? And the answer is no. In the scripture, Time and time again, especially in the Psalms, we see that when we're in the midst of pain and suffering and confusion and lament, we have not only the permission, but we have the invitation to voice complaint. We're allowed to be honest with our frustrations. We're allowed to say to God, God, this sucks and I hate it. But that's not what we're talking about here. Fundamentally, what's going on in, in the grumbling and the complaining on the part of the Israelites is that they're saying to God, God, we are better off without you. We were better off without you. Wish, we wish you never, we never met you. It's a fundamental mistrust because we're not where we're supposed to be. Yeah, we're not where we came from, but what is this? We don't like this. I um, became a Christian my first year of college and I was so excited because I wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted to serve. I wanted to be minister of the gospel. I wanted to help people. I wanted to do anything. And, and, and I went to the, the folks in my church and said, I want to serve. And they said, okay, we need someone in Awana Kids Ministry. I'm like, I will do it for the Lord. And so I served in the kids ministry. And they said, okay, Mike, one of the first things you're going to do is you're going to take the kindergartners, first and second graders on a field trip to Chuck E. Cheese. 
And I said, man, I'm gonna serve the Lord. <laughs> so I had a car full of kindergartners and first graders in my car. Now, I was, I was talking about this with my wife because we have a six-year-old child at home. I, none of them were in car seats. I think there were like five or six kids in the back of my Camry. Like, this was a bad, I, I don't know how we, yeah, the, that, it was a problem, okay? Um, but we end up getting to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, here, here's the thing. Uh, I went to school in the Bay Area of California. Traffic is bad. And it was a rainy day. So guess what happens when we get in the car at church and it starts raining? Traffic starts to back up. I got kindergartners and first graders in my car sharing like two to a seatbelt. And they start complaining. They start I don't want to go. I want to go home. Where's my mom? And I'm like, Lord, this is not what I signed up for. We finally get to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, some of you may not have, ever, have come from a place or live in a place where you know about Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese is a, is a restaurant that serves pizza with big, scary, animatronic animals, um, like games and playground and video games where you can spend a lot of your money, okay? It is for kids a really great place. It is for parents almost hell on earth. <laughs> we finally get to Chuck E. Cheese. And the kids start running around and they start drinking soda and eating pizza and, and playing and, and everything, running around. We're just, well, I'm a college kid. I'm just running around trying to make sure we don't lose one. And I look at around I, and the kids are just, wow, they're wilding out. They love it. The adults, I start looking at their faces, and it's this look of, like, how long, oh, Lord? How long, oh, Lord? This may not be Egypt, but it sure ain't the promised land. How long will we be here? Because a minute feels like an hour when you're at Chuck E. Cheese. You ever been there? You ever been there when you're like, oh, man, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what this is, God. Yeah, it's not rock bottom. But it's not the promised land. Jeff Mannion, who's a pastor, um, wrote a book called The Land Between, and that's what he calls the desert period. And that's what he calls the period in our lives, the land between. And the, and the land between is the place of transition, where this right here is not meant to be your final destination, but it, rather it's the necessary middle space for you to learn what it means to be God's people and establish a connection with God. So this is the way he describes Exodus. The Israelites are an unruly mob of recently released slaves who are prone to complaining, frequently resentful of Moses' leadership, and longing to return to Egypt with every conceivable hardship. The Israelites desperately need the spiritual formation of the desert to become the people of God. In their current condition, they do not yet know their God and are unprepared to enter the land of promise. The desert experience is intended to shape, mold, and refine them into a community of trust. Unfortunately, it will not be their finest hour. Unfortunately, time and time again, they're going to say, we wish we were back in Egypt with longing. It was better for us to be a slave. And we look at this and we say, how could you think this way? How could you act this way? 
It's like watching reality TV and there's that one character, that man or woman that always goes back to the boyfriend or girlfriend who you know is bad news, but they keep going back. And you're yelling and you're saying, why do you keep going back to him or her? But there's no way you could stop it. It's maddening to watch. It's maddening to look at. But for any of us who've been in that place, where, okay, today I woke up, today I ate, and I didn't die. Today was a terrible day. It's tough to be in that place. And all of a sudden, Egypt, the place where you were, starts to look like Eden, the place where you wish you were. We had it so good back then. Where was that time in your life when you think back to it and you're like, oh man, if only I was back in college. If only I was back there. If only I was back in high Well, actually, no one really wants to. Does anyone want to be back in high school? I sure don't. Middle school? No. If only if I didn't live in New York City. If only I lived back where I lived before. If only I didn't take this job. In the middle of Chuck E. Cheese, you know what you do? You question every life choice that got you to the place where you're now at Chuck E. Cheese. Where did it go wrong, God? How do you, how do you respond when God puts you in that place? Because the, the Israelites are repeat offenders. They complain and complain over and over again. But this is how God responds. He is relentless in his pursuit of them as his people. He is relentless of them as, in his pursuit of them as his people. God has relentless patience with the people who are constantly complaining. God gives relentless provision for people who don't appreciate it. God has relentless consistency with the people who often lack integrity. God shows relentless grace for people who don't deserve it. And the people still don't trust the God who gives them manna. They aren't satisfied with the manna. Their hearts long for something that will satisfy them more than the manna. Russell talked about last week how we often fall in love with the things in our hands when God offers us a glorious adventure. And the C.S. quote, C.S. Lewis quote that he, he shared with us, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires too strong, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We think too fondly about Egypt. God wants the Israelites to learn to trust him in the desert. He wants to form them to be a community, a covenant people and is relentless in pursuit of that goal. God doesn't want shouts of praise for the manna. God just wants his people to trust him. Every day, know that I'm the God that is with you. Know that I'm the God who's made a covenant with you and the covenant goes way back even before you were slaves. One commentator puts it this way, God wants to pr produce in his people a deepening relationship with him as their covenant God so that they will better understand the importance of keeping the Sabbath, the other commands, and the need to trust him daily. In other words, they're being taught how to obey God. 
This is what it means for God to test his people. The problem is not so much that the Israelites fail the test, but that they turn around and they put God to the test. They put God to the test. The Israelites can't hold, hold up their end of the covenant. The manna isn't enough. The provision of God isn't enough. Miracles aren't enough. Water from rocks isn't enough. Prophets aren't enough. Yeah, God, I didn't die today, but I'm stuck in this job. Yeah, God, I, I, I have someone in my life, but I wish that we could have family. And these are real things, just like bread is a real thing to want and water is a real thing that you need. But what does that do in you? The desert period, the land between reveals our hearts and often what's in our hearts is this inability to trust God, this inability to say, God, I know that you're gonna provide. And here's the question, is there really anything that's enough for us when we're in the desert? Is there anything that's enough for us when we're in the land between? Is there anything that will really satisfy us? Are we constantly saying to God, like that old Janet Jackson song, what have you done for me lately? If you weren't born in the, if you're not from the 80s, you don't know that, okay? God, are you really who you say you are? God, do you really show up for me? There's this um, really wonderful story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 um, about a father who has two sons. And the occasion for this story was actually um, the Pharisees were complaining that, that Jesus welcomed sinners. He welcomed the wrong kinds of people and he ate with them. And in this parable, the father has two sons who do nothing but complain to their father. The younger one doesn't want anything to do with him. You've held me back, he says. It would have been better if you were dead. And I could have your money now and go off and do whatever I want. The older one complains that he doesn't get what he deserves. He ought to be compensated for his years of service because he's been slaving away. And this is literally what he says in his conversation. Do we have that verse up? The one right before this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Look at those, look at those choice of words. I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who had squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So what had happened was this younger son goes off and says, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me your money now. The dad actually says, yes, he goes off and just wastes it all away. Finds himself destitute, comes back with his tail tucked between his legs, just saying, you don't even have to tell people I'm your son. Just treat me like a hired hand, but I just don't want to starve anymore. And his father runs to him, throws his arms around him, says, quick, bring the best of things for my son because he's come back and I'm, let's celebrate. And this older son goes nuts. And here's this amazing, amazing line because the father is meant to represent God to us in this story. Here's this amazing line that Jesus puts in the mouth of the father who represents God. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Everything I have is yours. You are always with me. I am always with you. Why do you feel like a slave? Why do you feel like you don't have enough? See, this is what happens. The manna incident becomes a paradigm for us. It really does. The manna incident um, becomes a paradigm, and, and usually we think of, oh man, God, you brought manna down from heaven. It's a paradigm of God's provision, but it's really not. The manna incident is, is a paradigm for us that God provides for us in these ways every single day, but it's so easy for us to take it for granted. It's about our disobedience. It's about us not deserving the things that God gives to us, but God chooses to give it to us anyway. Because you woke up and you ate and you went to bed again. You had life in your lungs, you had bread to eat, and all that was from God because everything belongs to him and you didn't deserve it. So again, this manna incident really becomes a big deal for the people of Israel, and it becomes a big deal for Jesus. So much so that he actually refers to it regarding himself. Because he says this, you didn't deserve the manna from heaven, but God gave it to you graciously to provide for you, to meet your needs. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here's the, the heart of God. That his provision for us would not just be for a day, but it would be for eternity. Here's the heart of God, that we wouldn't trust God not as our caretaker, but as our Father. That we would know that we are loved by Him. That none of us deserve the miracles that rain down from heaven, but God gives them to us freely. That Jesus is, is the one who lived that perfect life for us, who died a death on a cross. And, and the scripture actually is bold enough to say that if we place our trust in him, that our sins are forgiven and we are named, now made right with God and we can call God our father. And we are now his children. It satisfies the deepest longing of our heart. So now think about with me, if you would, um, being on a road trip with a car full of kids. Now scratch that. Imagine being at a rest stop and you're on a road trip yourself and you see at the table next to you at this rest stop, a father with a bunch of kids who are just going wild, running around, screaming, acting disobedient, dis disrespectful. This dad is waiting patiently. What would your thought be for that dad? I'm glad I'm not him. Poor guy. What did he do to deserve these terrible children? But what if I gave you a little bit more information? 
What if I told you that this father, actually, that none of these kids were his kids, but he actually adopted every single one of them? That they were leaving the orphanage where they had all been adopted. They all really didn't even know each other. Every single one had a story. A story of pain and abandonment, some of them abuse. And now they were on their way home, and it was going to be a long journey, but they're learning how to be a family together. Super dramatic, right? Well, so is the Bible. What would you now say about this father? What would you now say about each one of these kids? You'd say about the father, that father is amazing. What would possess him to do something like that? What kind of love compels a person to do something like that? And you would say about each one of those kids, they just don't know yet. They just don't know. They've lived lives of loss and abandonment, of pain and of orphanhood. They don't know yet what it means to be part of this family. That's what the desert is. That's what the land, in between, land between is. It's a place where we are transformed from a people who think and act like slaves of Egypt to a people who think and act like children of God. We're learning to be a community together under God for the first time. And every single day we need to be reminded of it. Every single day we need to be reminded that we are not orphans, we are not slaves, we are children of God. That's what the Lord's Prayer is really all about. Our Father, you got to start there, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then you pray what? Give us this day our daily bread. And you don't pray that hoping and wishing it comes true. You pray that knowing it's going to happen. God, you're going to give us today our daily bread. We don't take it for granted because we know we don't deserve it. But we know that you're the kind of God that gives us our daily bread because you're our Father. And how do we know you're going to give us daily bread? Because you gave us Jesus. You gave us more than we could have ever asked for or imagined. You gave us Jesus, your Son, through whom we are satisfied more than anything else than that we could ask for in this world. What does it mean for you today to be in the land between? Maybe you feel like you're in a desert. Maybe you're not, you're not sure where you're supposed to be and it feels like you're not supposed to be here. What if today there was a transformational moment that God is doing in your life just to be able to say, our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What if that's just your prayer today? Can you pray with me? God, we learn from the story in Exodus that we're not meant only to be delivered and saved. 
we are also meant to be transformed. We're given a new name, we're given a new identity, we're part of a new family. We actually have to learn to be part of this family, what it means to be part of this family, to trust our Father in heaven, because we're now your children. God, today I pray that wherever each of us find ourselves, that we'd look to you for our provision. And our hearts so easily long for that place called Egypt, our hearts so easily complain or grumble. But I pray instead we would have gratitude because you give us our daily bread. And just for 30 seconds right now, I pray, Lord, that you would bring to mind what our daily bread looks like for today. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.